very quickly, I got a few uh, announcements to make. Make first of all, uh, some of those of you that were waiting to see Ken up here, well, just turn around. He's right back there. You can see him. <laughs> Anyways, uh, we you know that we have our firemen's uh, appreciation banquet coming up, and we need you to uh, reserve or at least make your reservation as to how many people are going to be here and what you're going to bring. You have to make it on uh, my wife's birthday by the, or I'm sorry, November the twelfth. Uh, I hope I didn't get that little secret out. Um, hint, hint. But anyways, uh, get get everything together, and so we're gonna we're gonna celebrate, and we're gonna really thank our firefighters for the tremendous work that they've done. Twenty years, beloved. Twenty years that we've been doing this. So uh, let's uh, let's really show show up and give them a big hand for what they've been doing. <clears throat> October thirty first. Yes. Oh, just just one. Yeah, uh, that's that was good. October 31st. I'm sure many of you already know what October 31st is, but it's not what you're thinking. Okay. October 31st. I know that we celebrate or people celebrate uh, Eve, which means uh, the evening or the day before All Saints Day. All Saints Day is November the 1st. And it came not only to a day, it was a day to remember those saints that have been martyred, the, the Christians that have died for the cause of Christ. And then, so what they did is they added another day, uh, November the 2nd. November the 2nd is All Souls Day, so that we can remember those that, were, that have died and those people that we had recognized. Now, this is a Catholic uh, teaching, and uh, it's not Christian in a sense. As a matter of fact, that came in much later than after the Bible was put together. And somewhere along the line, as we were celebrating, or the church was celebrating that uh, recognition, the day before, they started to recognize and realize that there was a lot of things going on, and so they, they started to try to appease the evil spirits. What they would want to do is they would want the spirits of the dead loved ones to come to their house. So they would put candles out. They would put, uh, you know, rocks out, so white rocks to see if they would come out and they'd leave food out on the table, um, excuse me, on the porch and have them come to the, their houses. And uh, they come to find out that as they were doing this, supposedly there were evil spirits that were also attached to these spirits of the saints and the souls of the loved ones. And so in order to try to fight all this off, they started putting these jack-o'-lanterns with candles inside of them to ward them off and scare them. And, uh, and the, the trick or the treat would come out of that. If you didn't leave them a treat well enough for them, then what they would do is it cause all kinds of tricks in your house and on your household. And it became a very scary time. And uh, through, the, uh, through, through history, this is when, of course, witches and warlocks and all that try to get all this, all this evilness, try to perpetrate it throughout the, the country. And this is back in 800 A.D., and uh, as people started to migrate to the United States, they brought these practices with them. They added a lot more things. They have toned it down to where now it's candies and kids and all this beautiful stuff. But October 31st is very important to us, not because of Halloween, but because October 31st is what we call Reformation Day. Now, Reformation Day was the day that Martin Luther went to the church in uh, 500 years ago, and what he did is he had these 95 arguments that he wanted to dispute with the leaders of the church. Martin Luther was a monk. He was a person that was uh, well-schooled. He was a lawyer. He, he, some people say he was troubled. <laughs> he had like a spit personality, I guess you would say, or somewhat uh, hearing voices and hearing God and reading the Bible, and he had a hard time trying to bring together justification. He knew he was a sinner and he knew that he had sinned. And so he was always trying to make amends with God. And so what the church was doing at that time as they were selling what they called indulgences. I don't know if you know what that is, but an indulgence for those of you that come from a Catholic background, you might want to help me out on this. But an indulgence was, you know, you come to the church, you come to the pastor and says, you know, can you pray for my loved ones? Because tomorrow is All Saints Day, and the day after that is going to be All Souls Day. Can you pray for my loved ones that are still in purgatory, so hopefully they'll get to go to heaven? Now again, this is not a biblical statement. This is something that the church took off and started doing on their own. And as people would come in, they would pay for these indulgences to have their loved ones sprung out of purgatory. And so as they come to find out that it was working within the church, the church was getting a little bit of money, but they needed more money to fill up the cathedrals and to build cathedrals, actually. And this is all part of church history, if you want to do some research on it. And so in, in, the, in the process of trying to build these cathedrals, running out of money, the wars that were going on, the crusades and everything else that was happening during that time, they started to push these indulgences even more so. Look, if you want to get to heaven, if you want to make sure you got your seat secured, you will be able to even buy your own seat ahead of time. 
And there was this gentleman named Tetzel. Tetzel was a man that was preaching the gospel message. And he was talking about sharing the gospel with people and sharing Jesus Christ with them. And then he would tell you something like this. For those of you that have loved ones that we're going to celebrate here in a couple of days, those of you that have loved ones that are still sitting in purgatory, how dare you? How dare you not want to pay their way out of purgatory? Because otherwise, they're going to go to hell for all eternity. And all these poor people would give all their money. Please take my money. And, you know. And he had this saying that he would say, every time you hear the coffer ring, a soul from purgatory springs. A coffer was a box that they put their money inside of. So every time that you would hear that ring, you would hope, if it was your loved one, you would hope that it was your loved one that was springing out of purgatory. Just broke him out of jail. Martin Luther, as well as you probably already have guessed, as well as I do, we have a problem with that. He had a problem with that. And what Martin Luther did, he says, look, there's 95 things that I can find that the church is not doing correctly according to the word of God. And so what Martin Luther did is he went out and he nailed these, this thesis. It's called the 95 Thesis, the Misuse of Indulgences. And, and he nailed it to the church door on October 31st. Why? Not because of Halloween, but because on that day, that night, the very next day, everybody was going to gather at the church and they were going to be able to see these arguments that he wanted to dispute with the church. Now, Martin Luther never wanted to start a Protestant or protesting movement. He never wanted to start his own religion. He never wanted to start his own church. He never wanted to start any. What he wanted was to get the church back in line to the word of God. This is what we need to do. This is where we need to be. And when you ask me, where do I stand as far as theology and doctrine and denomination, well, as you know, we are a Southern Baptist church. That's what we are. But my goal is not to be a Southern Baptist to make you Southern Baptist. My goal is to make you aware of what the Word of God says. Give it to you as plainly as I can. Help you to understand what the Word says and give it to you in a sense where you can make your adjustments in your life. Because just like any vehicle that you might have, if you're driving down the road and the car's going like this, you says, there's something wrong with my front end. And you take it into a front end specialist and say, well, you know what? You need to get your front end aligned. Your wheels are all shot. You might, you might need some new tires too. Look at how bald they are. And so you can sit there and say, you know, yeah, I don't know if I believe you on that. You know, that just sounds too crazy. You know, I, I don't know. Or you can say, you know what? Take care of it. What do I need to do? Many of, you, many of our lives, many people's lives is, are going like this throughout life. Tires are going bouncing around and, and the, the, the instructions and the directions that you need for your life are here. And I'm sharing these with you. You can do one of two things. I can, you can put these into practice or just keep letting your life go the way it is. And I, I beg you, I implore you, I, I, I beseech you to listen to the word of God. Not because I say it, but because God's word says it. And so as Martin Luther started to gain a little bit of notoriety, they, the church leader says, okay, well, you know what? Why don't you come and we will dispute it. We'll talk about it. Let's talk about it. He says, well, you know what? I can't make it. I'm way out of town, but can I send my fellow worker, my friend? Sure, send him because he has the same concerns. And so he shows up and right away the church says, heretic, and they burned him at the stake. Yeah, <laughs> it is funny <laughs> because here they are trying to, you know, help the church get back on track and they just called him a heretic. This, you know what? It didn't work with your friend. Can you come? He says, heck no, I ain't going over there. And uh, so the more that they chased him, they, they, they kicked him out of the church. Martin Luther started, he wasn't the only one. About a hundred years later, earlier, there were other people that were looking at the church and saying, the church is not doing this right. And they were, there was this, these 95 theses are probably an argument that these men were having amongst themselves and recognizing what the word of God says. Salvation is by Christ, in faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone. It's not by works. You can't come to church enough to get saved. You can't be born in a Christian home to get saved. Nobody can pray you into heaven. Just because your mama was a Christian and your grandma was a Christian doesn't mean that you're a Christian. Doesn't make you a Christian. Just because you come to church doesn't make you a Christian. It's kind of like saying, you know, I, I live in my mom's garage, so therefore I'm a Volkswagen. No, you're not. And so when Martin Luther started to proclaim this and he started to move forward, a lot of people were on track. And he was one of the, well, there was already a Bible written out in English because the Bible was only at that time in Latin. People weren't able to understand it as much. And so they, the Bible was written in English and right away the church says, nope, the Catholic church says, no, you can't, we can't have this. We cannot have this. 
This is not, you can't put this word in, in the simple people's minds. We have to tell them what it says. Beloved, I, I believe that you're smart enough to see the word of God for yourself and know what the word of God says. Amen. So we're going to give you the word of God. All points. And this started over 500 years ago. And when it did, it, it reformed the church and the church has become reformed. Now, one of the dangers that came up to Martin Luther. He says, you know what? If you give people the Bible in their language, you know what's going to happen? They're going to make it say whatever they want it to make it say. And Martin Luther says, you know what? That's between them and God. And as you know, today, we have various denominations and various types of people taking the word of God, piecing it out together and making it say what they want to say. Kind of like what we're going to talk about today. You know, I had a video that I wanted to show you that basically what, what uh, this video, and I'm not going to show it to you after all, but this video what it basically wanted to say was this. We owe Martin Luther one thing, and that is bringing the gospel back to the church. The gospel of grace, the good news that God in his infinite power and wisdom, that we have offended a holy God, that God is pure and holy. And any time that I've offended him, I am due for punishment. People tell, tell me, all the time, well, but I'm, I'm a good person. Really, I, I'm not one of those terrorists. We don't have any terrorists in here, do we? Okay. I'm not a murderer. <laughs> I'm not an adulterer. I don't do those kind of things. You know, I'm pretty much a good person. And so what, what Martin Luther was saying to himself is, I'm not a good person. I know my wretched heart. I know that I'm a sinner and I'm the worst of the sinners. And I know my mind And he would go to church and go to church and try to get himself right with God. And it's, it's not working, Lord. And he would crawl on his knees and he would even whip himself and he would do all kinds of things that, to try to get the sin away from himself. And he'd always come out the same person says, Lord, what's the matter? And God says, you're saved by grace. You're saved by grace. I've already saved you. You're already saved. Now live in that. And people tell me, well, that's, you know, I'm a good person. I don't have to go to church and I can worship wherever I want. And the Bible says, you know, if, have you ever told a lie? You ever told one lie? Well, if you say no, you're lying. <laughs> the Bible says that if you tell a lie, you're a liar. And you see, the, the problem is that in heaven, the only person that can get to heaven is a perfect person. One that's never sinned because there is no sin in heaven. And, and you, you might ask that same person, well, have you ever taken anything from anybody? Have you ever taken a pencil from school or a, 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 probably a, a tool or something from your work job or something? Have you ever done anything like that? And, and yeah, you know, everybody does. Well, the Bible calls you a thief. You know, have you ever had an impure thought in your mind uh, toward another person that you want, you lust after? Well, you know, it's kind of, you can't help yourself. It's all over TV. Well, the Bible calls you an adulterer. You know, right there, just, that's just three. You're a lying, thieving, adulterous sinner. How in the, if you've even done that once, the Bible says if you sin once, you might as well have committed all the sins. How in the world are you going to get into heaven like that? And people step back and say, wow, I have a problem. Yes, you do. We all have a problem. You see, because the Bible says, for all have sinned, including your pastor. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And I don't stand here thinking that I'm perfect or telling you that I've mastered it all or conquered it all because sin is ever before me at all times. And my response is always, God, have mercy upon me. And the person that says that he's not a sinner, he calls God to be a liar. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And what Martin Luther found out was that none of us can buy our way into heaven. And there is no such thing as purgatory in the Bible. There isn't. Where you guys came up with that? Well, it was one of the books that we had, but that's not the Bible. And you're trying to help the, you're guilting these people to come to church and to, and to give their money to you. And hopefully their loved ones will get saved and maybe they will get saved. You know, here's, here's the bottom truth. The truth of the Bible is this. Man is destined to die once. Man and woman, person, people. Man is destined to die once and then be judged. There's a movie coming out, beloved, and I just want to urge you not to go see it. But if you want to go see it, go ahead. Of apparently of what's after you die, what comes next. And you have a lot of testimonies of people that saw this light, that saw this person, that saw this one, two, three, or whatever it is, things. And they've made a movie out of it. They've, they've made money off of it. They, they're, they're you know, promoting their, their agenda. And people are always coming to me and saying, well, you know, I, I've died two or three times. You know, well, what, do you, what do you say about that? You know, I don't know what happened to you, to be honest with you. I'm sure you've had an experience of some sort. You've seen something, I'm sure. 
All I can tell you is what the Bible says. The Bible says man is destined to die once and then be judged. And more often than not, people tell me, well, you know how the Bible always contradicts itself. And what people do is they take their experience over the word of God. If your experience lines up with the word of God, then go with the word of God. But if your experience does not line up with the word of God, get rid of your experience because it didn't happen according to how you believe it happened. I'm sure you saw something. I'm sure you heard a voice. I'm sure something happened, but it wasn't godly. Because as we're going to find out, as we dive more into the book of Thessalonians, the second book of Thessalonians, that the lawless one, the Antichrist, as he comes into the world, he has a deception, he'll have powers, he'll have abilities, make signs and wonders to happen and create, and people will follow him because of these false signs and wonders. Well, how do you know which is correct? Well, once again, Martin Luther gave us the ability, not just him, but he's credited with the Reformation. And hundreds of other people gave us the ability to have the Word of God in our hand to be able to take it and apply it to our life and make your speaker go off. And when we celebrate or we recognize, we don't celebrate Martin Luther, we don't celebrate Reformation Day, but when we recognize October 31st, we recognize it for what it did and what it was able to do for the believers and the people that have literally looked into God's word and says, this is what it says. So because this is what it says, I need to believe what it says because God is God. And you may not like what it says. That's just what it says. Open up your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians. Father in heaven, as we come before you this morning to remember great men like Martin Luther, John Calvin, Zwingli, uh, those that have gone on before us, those that have uh, that have sacrificed their life to make sure that the Word of God is in our hands. Like Tyndall and, and, uh, and many others that gave their life, that literally were killed because they went against the church, the established church at that time. And Father, because of men like, like those that have gone on before us, we can recognize and we can sense and we can see and read your Word and memorize your Word. And so Lord, today we come to you humbly, opening up these pages recognizing that your word is valuable and, it, and so deep and it cuts and it penetrates to the heart, to the bone, to the marrow. And it's your word, Father, that we want to hold on to more than anything else in this world. So we ask you, Father, that as we dive into this portion of Second Thessalonians, that you help us to read it and apply it to our life, we pray. In Jesus' name. And everyone says, as I've said already before, 2 Thessalonians is where we're at. We started this back in October the 1st of 2023. And without even knowing, without even knowing what was coming up in the coming weeks. And we know, as, as we know now, that, um, that we have uh, gone into a war. Well, Israel's in a war with uh, Hamas and the people that are calling themselves Palestinians. Hamas is a group that is backed by Iran. Iran is a terrorist group. And these people, as I mentioned last week, I read to you their manifest and their charter. Their whole existence is you cannot live with Israel. Israel will continue to do what it has done for thousands of years. Therefore, we must get rid of Israel and the United States. And so this is their goal. This, you cannot, they cannot live side by side as much as they've tried. They've tried to have peace accords. They've tried to have uh, this 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 peace within the, the Middle East, but as much as they've tried, it just, it just has not happened. Now, we went through a very extensive Bible study last week, and we looked at how God had given Israel this land and how he promised them, if you, if you obey, I will bless you. If you don't, I will curse you. And how they were taken away from this land. The people ran it over, and God brought them back. And he says to them, yes, I will take you out of this land, but I will bring you back. And anybody that goes up against you, I will annihilate. I will destroy. And we went through at least five different clans, peoples that were, um, that were that rose up against Israel and God says, I'm going to just wipe you off the face of the earth. And those people no longer exist in our culture or in our history anymore ever since the turn of the century. If any nation, if any people should have been annihilated, it should have been the Jews. Never in their wildest dreams. For 1,900 years, people were saying, how are these end times going to happen? How is it all going to take place if Israel doesn't even have a nation 
because the prophecy has always been that all these nations are going to come up against Israel. But Israel doesn't have a nation. How are they going to come up against Israel? Maybe it's metaphorical. Maybe it's, you know, you know how, how is this going to happen? How are they going to get plundered, is what Ezekiel will tell us. How are they going to be able to take, what are they going to take from them? They don't have anything. And so for, for 1,900 years, that was the argument as to the Bible not being true until 1948. In 1948, Israel became a nation, and all of a sudden there was a war, and there was another war, and there's been wars ever since. This one here that they are experiencing today is probably one of the most uh, deadliest and, and biggest wars that they have gone because of how it's happened. And, beloved, this is not to scare you. This is not to try to tell you, you know, whatever the case may be that others might be telling you. This is just to inform you that the reason we are even reading this today is because we've been going through the Bible, step Right? Book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And it just so happens that this particular topic lands on these days. So I've been taking my time going through this. And I'm going to. And last week I, I just read one verse. Today I'm only going to read another verse. And we're, we're, but I'm going to put it all together at the end. And, and I don't know how long this is going to take us because this is the question right now. People ask me all the time. They say, okay, is, is this the end? Is, is this the end? You know, I mean, you hear wars and rumors of wars. Is, is it going to happen now? Same thing happened with COVID, you know, pestilence and famines. And is this the end? Earthquakes. Is this the end? Is this the end? And so that's the question that pops up in people's minds. You have pastors out there right now. You have authors, scholars, and teachers out there right now. And I get material all the time. This war of Israel with Hamas is biblical. If you want to know why, buy my book. (laughs) Uh, No, thank you. I don't need to buy your book. And they're peddling. This information, people are buying this book up and people are buying that book up and people are just wanting to understand how this, just read the Bible. Just read the Bible, beloved, because this is where we're at. And what Paul says to the people in Thessalonica in chapter two, he said it already in first Thessalonians chapter four, verse 13. We're going to go to first, second Thessalonians first, and we are going to talk about verse one and uh, what he says. Verse one. This is uh, the coming of our Lord. Now, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to Him, we ask you, brothers. Now, last week we looked at verse 2, and it says, Not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter, seeming to be from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. The man and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And you know what is restraining him now, so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of the lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and be saved." Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Three times Paul says in verse three, let no one deceive you again in verse 10 uh, and with all wickedness, a deception for all those who are perishing. And then again, uh, later on in verse 11, therefore God sends them a strong delusion, this delusion, this deception, this idea that you're thinking that this is what you need to do goes contrary to scripture. This delusion is one that the world is falling into and realizing, and some are even saying, well, it's Israel's fault. How can that be Israel's fault? You know, they're the ones beheading babies. Well, they're doing what? They're the ones that's killed. They're shooting the hospitals down. You know, and there's this delusion in the world of lawlessness even now. And those that don't understand scripture, those that don't read the Bible, are, recognize, are saying that it's Israel that's doing all of this. It's Israel. And, you know, and, and Palestine has every right. Why, why should Israel only have it? And, you know, again, because they're not going according to scripture. The world does not follow the word. The world does not follow the word. Amen. It is God's people. The word was designed for you, not for the world. 
You see, we expect the world to live according to the word, but it's not for the word or the world, excuse me. It's for you. God's word is for those are his elect, his chosen, his loved ones, his beloved. That's who this word is for. And so the the Antichrist that is coming, and we're going to get into that. We're going to talk about uh, all these false deceptions and signs and wonders that he has and how this lawless one is being held back right now until he that is holding him back is taken out of here, which is the Holy Spirit. Most people believe right now the Holy Spirit is holding him back and he's going to be taken out of here during the rapture, before the rapture. But see, Paul was writing to them again about the rapture. He was, he was writing to them now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him. He says, I, I, I want to I share this with you one more time because apparently, as we read here a little while ago, uh, he goes on to say, not to, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to come from us. Somebody had written a letter, said this is from Paul. Somebody had said, Paul said, somebody had says, you know, this is what's going on. I've seen it. I had a dream and this is what's happening. And Jesus Christ has already came and we are now living in these uh, tribulations, these troubled times. And the reason that they believed that message is because they were living in troubled times. They were being persecuted. And Paul says, no, no, you ain't seen nothing yet. As Brockman Turner over, I would say, you've not seen nothing yet. It is coming. And when it comes, you'll know it. You know, there's going to, but there's a deception. There's this lawlessness. There's this man that's going to seem to put everything together. And he's going to put it all together. But see, what Paul is trying to get across here, first and foremost, now this isn't in your outline, but this is, you might want to call this letter A, that first and foremost, the first thing that has to happen is number one, or letter A, the rapture is based on, we have to go to 1 Thessalonians. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians, just a couple of pages over uh, behind. If you go back to chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians, verse 13, Oh, I like that sound. Do that again. The page is just turning. Amen. <laughs> Wait, don't get carried away now. <laughs> Someone's shaking their Bible out there. Verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For we declare this to you by a word from the Lord. Paul had written to them because they had believed that Jesus Christ had already returned. And their main concern was, well, if Jesus Christ has already returned and Jesus Christ is coming back, you know, or he's going to be coming back for us. What about those that have already died? Now, Paul is not trying to teach a doctrine here, uh, but we, we get a doctrine out of this. He's, he, what he's trying to teach, he's not trying to teach this sensationalism, sensationalism that you see in a lot of the churches with charts and maps and graphs and things that are going on. What Paul is trying to do is just, look, I, I want you to calm yourself. Be calm because it hasn't happened yet. Because first of all, those, those that have died in Christ, and it's, in, it's important how he puts this, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. He says, they're not dead. You know, those without Christ are dead. But those that are in Christ, they fall asleep. It's kind of like yesterday when I was up, you know, all day long, I was everywhere. And, I, and by, by the time I got home, I'm, I'm tired. My eyes are closing and I'm barely making it home. And, I, you know, I want to get home. I want to go home. I want to go home. I want to go to sleep. I want to just lay down. And I did. And, oh, boy, did I, that feels so good. See, when a, when a believer in Christ gets to that point in his life and he recognizes, you know what? It's time for me to go to sleep. There is no fear. As a matter of fact, to, to some extent, Paul says that our outer body is breaking away. The, these jars of clay that are fragile, are, but our spirit inside is growing. Our spirit is growing and we want to be closer to God and even more so. It was said of my sister-in-law at her funeral here a few weeks ago that she was praying and praying and praying. She went up to the pastor, I want to be closer to God. I want to be closer to God. I want to be closer to God. And not long after that, she passed away. And the pastor says, you can't get any closer than that. <laughs> and I'm sure that she recognized it. And if she was a true believer, that she slept and she fell asleep and she rested. You see, when the Bible talks about a believer dying, he always says that he went to sleep. It's a euphemism for dying. And he says, you know, I don't want you to be informed about those who have fallen asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. The reason a lot of people grieve 
is because they have no hope. The reason people cry and cry and cry because, you know, there is no hope. There was no hope. I understand that. I see that. And, uh, you know, you can, you can just see that as I saw my mom close her eyes for the last time. She just closed her eyes. And then she opened them. It was weird. She opened them like to say, I'm in heaven now. Or it was like, open. And then she just, she went back down. And, and people that have no hope, have no understanding, no way of realizing what happened. What's next? Where did they go? How, how is this even possible? You know, and, and the bad thing is, well, I don't know if it's a bad thing, to be honest with you, for a believer. But the bad thing is, is that, you know, all of us are going to have to go through it. It just happens. Happens to you. Happens to, happens to everyone. It's happened to people that we loved in the past. It's going to happen to people that we love in the future. It's happening even right now. It's going to happen. And this is why you need to have the hope. And Paul says, people that don't have no hope, they're grieving. Verse 14, for since we believe that Jesus died. you know, And this is interesting because Paul says that you fell asleep, but Jesus died. He had to die physically. He had to die spiritually. God unleashed the punishment of all the world on Jesus Christ. And boom, God had to turn his face. The Bible says that it was black. The the day went black and the earth shook. It was such a cataclysmic event that everything around nature just kind of cried. And as the earth shook, that the tombs were bust open and dead people got up. They were so powerful. That Jesus Christ took all the sin of even those people in the tombs. That some of them got up and said, what happened? And they were walking around with, this, with, with these clothes on them or uh, wrappings on them. And what happened? Jesus Christ, the Son of God, took your punishment. And he died. And the Bible says that he, he died and he was in the earth for three days and came back on the glorious Sunday morning. And he came back glorified. And Jesus Christ, but you, beloved... If you die in Christ, you go to sleep. You don't have to die as Jesus Christ did. You don't have to go into the pit of hell. You don't have to experience the punishment of God. You don't have to experience all that wrath that is designed for the unrighteous. Because Jesus Christ died on the cross to save you. You know what he saved you from? Have you ever stopped to think about that? What did he save you from? Jesus Christ saved you from God. It's God's wrath. That's coming down upon this world. It's God's wrath that is coming down upon the unrighteous. It is God's wrath that is coming down upon those that do not want to believe. That do not believe. As he says here, it's those that have no hope. And even so, through God, through Jesus Christ, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. That's us or those that have fallen asleep. So Paul is trying to teach them. He's trying to say, look, I, I know that you understand that Jesus Christ is coming. And you're wondering, what happened to all those people that have died before us? My grandma, my, gra- my great-grandma, my dad. My, well, you know, what about my child that died at birth? You know, what about, you know, and Jesus Christ is coming and he's going to take me with But what about those? And so Paul is trying to comfort them. And he says to them this. He says, for this we declare to you by a word from the Lord. So the very first thing that we have to understand, number one, or letter eight. You want to write this one down because it's not in your outlines. The rapture is not based upon anything else but Jesus Christ's death. For since we believe that Jesus died, we believe that. And the rapture is based, Paul is saying, on the fact that he died. He didn't go to sleep. He died. And the second thing that we, uh, number two, the rapture is based upon his resurrection. And he rose again. So the the rapture is not built on something that Paul just made up or something that he's kind of going through. He says, no. As a matter of fact, the third thing that you want to write down, it's based upon the revelation of Jesus Christ. What Jesus has said, you can basically put it that way. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord. Now it's interesting because people have went back into the, into the New Testament. They've got back to the Gospels. When did Jesus say that? When did Jesus say that this rapture was going to happen after he died and he resurrected? And they're looking and they're looking and you can't find anything as far as that kind of revelation or that kind of story or anything that Jesus Christ might have said. However, Paul declares it. This is a word from the Lord. In 1 Corinthians 15, he, sa- he calls it a mystery. And this is a mystery, he says, that all of us are going to, when we die, at the, at the last moment when we die, that we are going to be transformed. We're going to be in the twinkling of an eye. We're going to be changed. Different. You see, a believer believes this, and this is what the Bible teaches, that when you die, your body goes into the grave. 
or into the sea or into the tomb or wherever the case may be. Your body dies, but your spirit automatically is with the Lord. And you are waiting there with the Lord in spirit until he returns. And we'll talk about that here in just a little bit. But those are the three things that happens that Jesus, Jesus says, well, first of all, the, the resurrection, the rapture is based upon the fact that Jesus died, that Jesus resurrected, and that Jesus said. Basically, I said it's from the word from, from the Lord. Jesus said it. Because he said it, that settles it. Do you guys remember that bumper sticker that people used to have in the back of the car? Jesus said it, therefore I believe it. You know, Jesus said it, I believe it. And that settles it. Well, whether you believe it or not, <laughs> Jesus said it, and that settles it. And that's it. Because here are the steps that we want to go through as far as what the rapture entails. Number one, you know, Jesus will descend from heaven. Jesus will descend from heaven. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven. He's not going to send an army for his church. He's not going to send a political system. He's not going to send any political leader. He's not going to send any angels for the church. For he himself, the Lord himself, he will return for his church. In, in Acts chapter 1, verse 11, this Jesus who was ascending into heaven, as they stood there and they looked up, and Jesus says, I, you know, you wait here, and when the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will become my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and all, uh, all the world. And as they stood there and, and they said, well, well, when is this going to happen? Uh, what time? You know, when can we expect you coming back? And he gives them this Greek word. He says, Nenya. He says, it's none your business, for you do not need to know when that's going to happen. Don't worry about when that happens, but you will receive power and you will become my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the other most parts of the world. That's what he tells them. And then, you know, the word witness is the Greek word uh, martyr, martero, or martyr, where we get our word martyr. You will be my martyr. You will die for Christ. And you will be my martyr. You will be my witness. That's what you will be. The Bible says in Hebrews 1, 3 and 4 that after making purification for sin, after Jesus Christ died, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. That's where Jesus is at right now. He's at the right hand of God. He's standing right there. Jesus is sitting right there waiting to return for his bride, waiting to return for his church. He's not bouncing around all over the world, showing up to this guy and showing up to that guy. So he can write a book. He can make a movie. He's not showing up to everybody so he can come back and say, oh, me and Jesus, we're playing catch in the field. I kid you not. People said this. You know, we were holding hands and, and we went out into the metal and we laid down and, and we were just laying there eye to eye. It was so intimate. People have written books about this. On what they've seen, what they've... Jesus is not that schizophrenic where he's everywhere. He's waiting at the right hand of the Father. The only time that, Paul, that, that the Bible says that he stood up is in Acts chapter 7. When one of his saints, Stephen, was being stoned and they were killing him. And he says, look, I see the Son of God standing. He said, the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Jesus Christ got up from his chair, from his throne, and he stood there in approval of what Stephen was going through. And every one of his disciples, every one of his apostles, everyone that he sent out died a martyr's death as a witness. And you could not shake them from their belief. As a matter of fact, in John chapter 14, before Jesus Christ is executed, this is in the upper room. Many of you probably have read this before. But he says in John chapter 14, don't, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And then he says in verse 3, he says, And I go, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. There's a big misconception within the church sometimes for people. They believe that the rapture and the second coming are the same event. They believe that the rapture and the second coming happen at the same time. The rapture happens first and the second coming happens seven years later after the tribulation. When Jesus Christ says, I'm going to come and I'm going to prepare, I'm going to come again and I will take you with me. I'm going to take you up with me. See, when Jesus Christ returns, he's going to bring us with him to establish his millennial kingdom. The angels will gather all the rest of the elect. Jesus is coming down and he's going to gather us up into heaven. And he's going to, we'll see this right now, he's going to raise the dead in Christ first. And those of us that are left behind, we will be caught up with him in the air. 
And so when Jesus tells them, if I go and prepare, because he says, I'm going to prepare a mansion for you. And I, in my father's house, there's many mansions. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may also be. See, when Jesus Christ returns, he's going to settle his kingdom here on earth. When Jesus Christ comes for us and raptures us, he's going to take us up to heaven. And we'll be in the presence of God for the seven years. As a matter of fact, in Mark 13, verse 26 and 27, it says, And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory, and then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. That's at the second coming. These are two separate events. And as I said last week, a lot of the signs point to the end. If you're following the news, if you're following the lawlessness, if you're following all the things that are going on in the homes, in the schools, in the government, if you're following along all this, all the, all this stuff, all this evil that is happening in our country, in our world, if you're following any of that, you recognize, man, there's this lawlessness. Man, you know, there's wars and rumors of wars, there's earthquakes and all kinds of things happening. The end is definitely close. Well, if that's the case, you have to remember that the rapture happens seven years before that. So I asked you last week, do the math. Number two, here's the second thing that's going to happen. That Paul is trying to tell the people, he says, Jesus will declare his arrival. He will do so with a cry of command in verse 16 again. The cry of command. This is a military ring. This is a, as if a commander is calling his troops to fall in. Fall in, everybody. Fall in. You know, and, and stand at attention. And you stand at attention. And it's this cry, this, this shout that is going to come out from heaven. And it's just going to go throughout the world. And the dead in Christ in the resurrected bodies will join the raptured saints, uh, ra will join those that are raptured. It's this, it's this shout, this cry that Jesus Christ did. He shouted a loud voice when he had heard these things about Lazarus, that is. In John eleven forty three. 43, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Lazarus, come out. And what he heard was Jesus' voice and boom, again, what happened? What's, well, he walked out like a mummy. And, and Jesus says, take, take the wrappings away from him. He looks like a mummy. And it, it kind of smells too. He's been in three days. And, and, and what happened with, with Lazarus is as he was taken out of there, he was recognized. And people says, wow, we thought you were gone. And he says, I was. I was in sleep. Just like when you sleep, you don't know nothing until you wake up. So, oh, okay. You don't see nothing. You may have dreams. Well, that is scary, huh? Dun, 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 dun. The, <laughs> not yet. No, we will, we will not see it that quick. Mm. That slow. We will see it a lot quicker. In Joel chapter 2, verse 11, this voice, this loud voice that, that the Lord calls out, the Bible says that the Lord utters his voice before his army, for his camp is exceedingly great. He has a huge camp. He has a, a loud camp, and I'll, I'll share that with you in just a little bit. And the rest of Joel says this, He who ex executes his word is powerful, for the day of the Lord is great and very awesome. Who can endure it? Every time you see the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord, it's, it's the end time, always pointing toward the end time. And there's going to be a time when the dead will hear his voice. John 5.25 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who will hear will live. Number three. Jesus will deploy his archangel and with the voice of an archangel. Not only is Jesus going to shout, give a command, but the archangel is going to come out and he's going to give his shout as well. And he's going to proclaim it's time to go. So he's going to shout to Michael, the archangel or the archangel. We don't know if it's Michael or not, but he's going to shout to the archangel. The archangel says, OK, everybody snap in line. Dead in Christ first. Let's go. Boom. All right. The rest of you, let's go. Just like that. And as quickly and as efficiently as a well-trained army, this is going to happen. And we don't know if it's Michael, but Jude, and the only place that it talks about uh, naming a, a, an archangel is in the book of Jude. In the book of Jude, chapter 1, verse 9, the devil is trying to, disputing about Moses' body. And this is what it says. But when the angel, Michael, or the archangel, Michael, contended with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Now, there's a lot more to unpack on that. This is the only place where we see, and this is why I just want to show you this, that this is the only place where the archangel is named as Michael. Jewish tradition has it that, uh, that there are possibly anywhere from 7 to 12 angels, archangels. We don't know that, again, from Scripture. All we know is that there are archangels. As a matter of fact, in Revelation chapter 12, 
Verse 7, uh, once again, uh, Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. And in Daniel, we see that Michael, again, the great prince, he says, at that time. Now, the thing about, as I said earlier, the day of the Lord or that time, when it's talking about that, what's going to happen, it's talking generally about the end time. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince, who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble, such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. So we don't know who this archangel is that is going to shout this command, but we know that there's going to be an archangel. The fourth thing that happens, as Paul is unfolding the, the rapture, Jesus will demonstrate his power. Jesus will demonstrate his power. And with the sound of the trumpet of God, everybody listen, because Jesus will shout, the archangel will give a command. He'll give a shout also. And, uh, and then the trumpet will sound. So it's one, two, three. Those are the things that are going to happen. And they happen in succession. First and foremost, the cry, the shout, the, the archangel, and then the trumpet. And this trumpet is going to be heard by those that are living and those that are dead. It has to be shouted, first of all, as Lazarus to those that are dead. And the trumpet is those of us that are left behind. Trumpets, people think that these are the six, seven trumpets of uh, the Revelation. There are seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls. Some people think that the last trumpet is when the dead in Christ will rise first. This is why some people believe that there's going to be a mid-tribulation rapture. In other words, we believe there's a pre-tribulation rapture. The rapture is going to happen before the tribulation starts. Some people believe it's going to happen somewhere in the middle. Because during the last, the, the last trumpet, when the last trumpet sounds, that's when we're all going to be raptured. And some people believe it's going to happen after the tribulation. This is not the same trumpet. This is not the trumpet at all. As a matter of fact, trumpets were used many different ways in many different times. And uh, when we went through 1 Thessalonians, I did an extensive study and showed you exactly how this kind of all, well, not exactly, but how it could be unfolding. But I believe, as many do as well, that this trumpet is a trumpet to get ready. When Israel was out in the wilderness, there was three trumpets. One trumpet was to get together. Another trumpet was to, you know, muster everybody at the, at the temple. And the third trumpet was, okay, let's go. And so when they would sound the trumpet, they would take off. And so most scholars believe that this last trumpet, it's the third trumpet, the last trumpet that sends the people marching again. In 1 Corinthians 15, it says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep once again. Not, you know, not dying. We're gonna, not all of us, some of them are going to be asleep. But we shall be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we shall be changed. And so this trumpet is the trumpet most people believe, not of the Revelation, but of the Old Testament. In Exodus 19, verses 16 through 17, it says, On the morning of the third day, there were... There were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. This is probably more of what that trumpet is like, getting people ready to present themselves to God. Number five, once again, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Jesus will raise the dead saints first. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. And uh, we went through that quite a bit as far as what, uh, uh, what the difference between sleeping and dead and dying. But here he's calling, he's calling those that have died in Christ, those that are asleep in Christ, those that have gone into the ground in Christ, those that have gone on before us, they will be first. They will be, uh, they will be the first ones because death cannot separate us. Death does not separate us. Death will never separate us from God. Nothing can separate us. In Romans chapter 8, verse 37, 38, and 39, it says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen. You will not be separated. 
God is not going to leave you behind. He, if you are his, if you've died in Christ, you are his. Death will never, ever separate us. And the last thing that happens, number six, Jesus will draw us all together. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Now notice something once again. We're going to be caught up and to meet them. Who? But the dead in Christ first and then Jesus Christ. We're going to meet them in the clouds. When Jesus raptures his church, he's going to do so from the clouds. He's not going to step foot on the earth. When he returns, as Joel tells us, he's going to put his foot on Mount, the, the Mount Olivet. And the earth is going to shake and it's going to split. And that's when everything is going to come to fruition. That's when he returns to the earth. Here, we're meeting him up in the clouds. So these two events, they're two different events. The end time and the rapture. And Paul is making this distinction really clear. He says, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up. You know, it's, it's interesting because a lot of people say, well, the word rapture is not in the Bible. You know, so some people will make an argument. There's no such thing as a rapture. And they're, they're pretty much right because the word rapture actually comes from a translation of harpazo of the Greek word. And that Greek word is, in Latin is rapitu, raptura. In other words, rapidly, quickly, it happens. And the word harpazo, caught up, sometimes is, is referred to that as strong, it's irresistible, it's even violent at times. A couple of verses just to kind of show you. In Matthew eleven twelve. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and the violent take it by force. It's very violently, this harpazo that's going to happen. And, and somebody said, well, maybe, maybe that's the rapture. It's going to happen very slowly. No, kaboom, it's just going to take place and people are going to disappear. And, you know, here's the interesting thing. The interesting thing is that most of the world is going to be able to see it. There's going to be cameras, security cameras. People are going to be videotaping. And all of a sudden, hey, what happened? And you know, they'll be rewinding. Where'd everybody go? You know, people are going to be in the hospitals and security cameras. And all of a sudden, people are just going to be gone. Airplanes are going to fall out of the sky. Cars are going to run into people. It's just, it's just like that. Without anybody even realizing that it happened. And, this, and people ask me all the time, so what's going to happen? How are they going to explain this? Well, you know, they'll, they'll come up with all kinds of things. Remember, Antichrist is going to stand up at that time. Antichrist will come up and he'll say, well, you know, here's what happened. And he will give the people a delusion into believing that nothing really happened. Talk about being gaslighted. Nothing here to see. Nothing happened. It's, you know, it's just, you know, something and, and people will believe it. I, I'm not really too sure how that's going to take place, but I know it's going to happen in that sense where somehow they're going to have to figure out this delusion, this, this blindness, and they're going to follow this Antichrist. Look, if you don't want to disappear, because we think maybe aliens took them, okay? We think maybe, uh, you, you know, they just disappeared because, well, they weren't vaccinated, you know, or whatever the case may be, or maybe because they got vaccinated. Uh, you know, they're going to come up with some sort of solution that everybody is going to buy into it, those that are left behind. And as a matter of fact, what they'll be saying is, you know, those Christians, this is both good riddance. I'm glad they're gone. And now we can push our agenda. We can do whatever we want now. We can, we can live however we want. If you want to be living with two people, three people, you want to live with somebody of the same sex, you want to, whatever you want to do, just do it. Because there's nobody here to stop you anymore. The church is gone. And, don't worry. and people say, yeah, it's, it's a lot better without them here. As a matter of fact, I read, I saw this book that says how to make money during, uh, after the rapture. What to do when you're left behind. I kid you not. <laughs> and uh, the Bible says they're going to keep marrying and, and giving in marriage. And they're going to have a, just like in the days of Noah. Just like in the days of Noah. And uh, they're going to be partying and things are going to be happening. People are, you know, you know if, if somebody would just to read the Bible. Okay, if this happens you know, the rapture happens now and the end is seven years later, then people should be able to figure that out. But the Bible says that it comes and nobody even realizes it. It comes at a time that nobody was expecting. There's got to be a delusion, some sort, somehow, in people's lives. See, Jesus will draw us together. In 1 John 3, 2, it says, Beloved, we are God's children now and what we will be has not yet appeared. 
But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And so Paul concludes the, the part of 1 Corinthians 15. He says, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. After he finishes talking about the mystery and how we're all going to be changed in the twinkling of an eye and we're not all going to be, uh, we have to die perishable and imperish- to be imperishable. After he talks about how people die in Christ and, and how they're changed and resurrected and taken up to heaven, he says, you know, I want you to, to know that just keep working. Just keep working, abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that whatever it is that you do in the Lord, it's not going to be in vain. So Paul wrote this portion of scripture, as he did again in 2 Thessalonians, for this very specific reason. Look at 1 Thessalonians 4.18. He says, therefore, scare everyone with these words. Oh, no, that's, I'm sorry. I'm reading the newly perverted version. Um, Therefore, guilt everyone with these words. No, it doesn't say that. What does it say? Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Encourage. And to be encouraged by these words is one of the greatest blessings that the Word of God can have. The Bible is very clear, and it gives you the ugly truth. And it tells you what he did to God. It tells you what God did to Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, it tells you what the Bible did to Noah in his die in his day and how he wiped out the whole planet. It tells you what he did to all these nations that were sacrificing their children, like many people are sacrificing their unborn child today. It tells you everything that the Bible, what the people were doing, and God says, Go in there and just wipe them all out. Wipe them all out. They're just not in it. And people ask me and say, Well, isn't God love? Yeah. He's, he's so much love that he's patient. You know why he hasn't returned yet? Because he wants you to turn. God is patient. He wishes that nobody would perish. God doesn't take any pleasure in punishing the injustice. He doesn't take any pleasure in that. And that's why Jesus Christ came into this world, to save sinners just like me. Not because he's mad. Not because he, he doesn't like you. No, as a matter of fact, his love was displayed on the cross. When we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. And that's me. And I pray that today that can be you as well. Because when he returns, and he's coming back, you need to be ready. Now, there's a glimmer of hope for those that are left behind. And for those that are left behind, you will have to be martyred. You would have to be killed to be able to be in heaven. Right now, it's just a matter of being chosen, of recognizing that, repenting. Then you're going to have to do something about that. And some people tell me, well, you know what? I'll just wait until that day and I'll die for Christ. Well, you know, I I don't know how you're going to do that if you're not even willing to live for Christ right now. You need to live for Christ. That's the only resolution. Now, that can fall on deaf ears, you know, deaf ears, and I understand that. People just don't want it, and they have a hardened heart. My responsibility is to give you the word, as I mentioned earlier. Now, it's on you to repent. That's not a suggestion. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I'm not going to ask you to say a, a prayer. You repent. That's a command. Repent and believe. Let me ask you to stand. Father in heaven, we know that one day you will send Jesus Christ once again, as you did the first time. In our word that we have, that we read, we find over 300 prophecies that he was going to be born and be brought to this world. And as we read scripture, we find three times as many, almost a thousand prophecies of his second coming. So we know that if he came the first time, he's going to come again the second time. And Lord, and just like in the days of Noah, It's going to be unexpected. So we watch and we pray. And we sing together in unison. And we recognize that the only way is through Jesus Christ. And I pray this morning that as the word enters and and that it comes, it takes seed in the hearts of those that are not willing to listen. That it penetrates and it breaks the hearts. Father, because your word is true. It's like a hammer. 
the word says. It's like fire. And Lord, this is your word. So thank you once again for giving us these steps and what to look forward to, not to be afraid, not to go out and guilt anybody or uh, try to scare people into it. But Father, just to know that there is a time that you're coming. You're going to bring your church first and foremost, and you're going to return the second time. So thank you, Lord, we pray. Lead us today in all things. In Jesus' name, and everyone says, amen and amen. All right, thank you. May the Lord be with you. Enjoy your week. Mm-hmm.